All right, let's turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 7. Isaiah, chapter 7. We will not be here very long. Uh, I just want to take some time uh, to basically give you a little bit of uh, a little bit of milk. A little bit of milk of the word. Nothing, nothing deep, but just to kind of go over the verses and um, and look at this uh, this doctrine that is the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. Specifically, I want to talk about the why the the doctrine, why the virgin birth of Christ is an important doctrine. That's what I want to talk about today. So we'll start, of course, where it all started in uh, Gen- in uh, Isaiah chapter seven. So let's pray. And then we'll read the 14th verse of Isaiah chapter 7. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for uh, the grace and uh, mercy and protection that you have given to us. Lord, thank you for the measure of health that you've given to many to, to be here. Uh, thank you for, uh, for Miss Stevens and uh, the, uh, the help that you've given her through the surgery on her eyes and the fact that she can drive at night again. Thank you for that. Thank you for... Uh, others who are uh, who are are still under the weather, but we, we're hopeful that they're going to be better soon. And and Lord, we thank you for helping them through this time. Please, especially give special grace to Miss Judy and to the Muxlows as they uh, deal with the sickness that's uh, going around, as well as uh, Brother John and others. Lord, please give grace and patience uh, in those things. And for the the lady that Miss Baker that Priscilla is going to have. Uh, Hopefully, we'll have the opportunity to speak with tomorrow. Please give wisdom to Priscilla to know what to say. And I pray especially for your spirit to be uh, working in her heart and uh, show her where she stands with you just uh, really and truly. Lord, we, there's nothing very deep here in this study tonight, Lord, you know. But I pray that it would be an encouragement to help your people to strengthen our faith and I pray that you would guide and bless your word in all these things that we study in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to read the, the uh, uh, from, we'll start in verse number 10, just to kind of get the context of Isaiah chapter 7. Because uh, the great, again, I, I mentioned it in Sunday school last, uh, last Sunday, that oftentimes the context is, is often ignored to our own peril of the understanding of the, of the Bible. So we'll read the context here, and it's, uh, verse 14 is, is very rarely read with its context. So we're going to do that. Moreover, the, war, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear ye now, O house of David, Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. But, uh, but for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Verse 14, of course, this is a prophecy of the, the coming of the Messiah called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Very good. And so 
when we look at the word virgin, we're going to, I'll spend a little bit of time in this, but of course, if, you've, if you read through your Bible, hint, hint, with your Bible reading schedule, if you read through your Bible, what you will find is you'll, you come across this word virgin very, very often. It's not an unusual word. And most often, the word virgin is just a word that refers to a, a, a lady who's not married. Uh, that's, you know, you think of the parable of the ten virgins. You think of uh, different things like that. And so that, oftentimes, the purity of the woman in the usage of that word is not in view. But that's not the case here. In this verse, it is important that we understand what this, what this is talking about. Let me read you a few things just uh, by way of comparison, okay? In chapter 7, verse 14, the Good News translation reads, the, reads thus, Well then, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. A young woman who is pregnant will have a son and will name him Emmanuel. Now, I took these as direct quotes from these Bibles. The New English Translation Bible, the Net Bible, sometimes it's called, it says this, For this reason, the sovereign master, that's, that's, uh, that sounds fancy. For this reason, the sovereign master himself will give you a confirming sign. Look, this young woman is about to conceive and will give, you, give birth to a son. You, young woman, will name him Emmanuel. Okay? Then you have the revised standard version. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now what's interesting about the revised standard version, this message is not about Bible versions, but I just want to give it to you for reference, is that in the revised standard version, it reads, this verse reads exactly as the King James except the word virgin. So that makes you wonder why they changed it. In other words, why do you fix something that's not broken? All right? And interestingly, the final one I want to read to you is from the New World Translation. Anybody familiar with the New World Translation? That is the official and canonical version of the Bible used by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, also known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, says this, Therefore, Jehovah, of course, they don't say Lord, they always say Jehovah, himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman, noted maiden, will become pregnant and give, will give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Now, the reality is that over the years, and one of the reasons this is on my mind is that my family and I were somewhere uh, the other day and I heard music being played. And the song was not a, a common song that you would hear around, around this time of year, but it was, a, it was kind of a newer song that had been like a kind of a southern gospel kind of song. But anyway, the words, the words of that song directly attacked the virgin birth of Christ. In other words, the, in the song, when you're listening to it, you expect it to say one thing, and it is almost like the song went out of its way to say the opposite, as if the writer might not have been in tune with the idea of the virgin birth. But this prophecy, um, this prophecy is perfectly clear, and we're going to see something. The argument, the argument here goes like this, uh, for those skeptics. 
and those that question the authenticity of the Scripture when it says Jesus was born of a virgin. And this is primarily the verse that is attacked, all right? They say, a virgin here, here's the argument. The word virgin here does not refer to uh, the purity of a woman, a woman who had never had relations with a man. The word virgin here just simply means young woman. That's, what, that's, what they, that's how it goes. There's several problems with that, though. And I want to cover those before we get into some of the, the other points of importance about the virgin birth. The first problem with that is what we're going to read in Matthew and Luke in just a minute is that the writers, human writers, that wrote Matthew, like Matthew and Luke, who wrote these books of the Bible, were contemporary with Mary. They lived in the same time as Mary. Matthew, in particular, was a disciple of Jesus. Luke was not, but Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. He, was, he, he no doubt had met Mary and had access to Mary, the mother of, of Jesus, directly, firsthand knowledge. So he didn't have to ask anyone in generations after what the reality of the matter was. Matthew knew Mary. And Luke, in all likelihood, probably either knew Mary directly because of the time in which he lived, or he knew people who knew Mary, even if he didn't know her directly. And of course, when you have firsthand knowledge, like the accident I had today, it wouldn't do, it wouldn't do the police officer any good to walk over to the neighbor's house up the street and say, hey, there was an accident that happened at four something here today. Can you tell me what happened? No, he came to me and he came to the other driver and he asked us directly what had happened because we were the ones who knew. And what, that's, what, that's what we call a primary source, right? Primary source. And that is exactly what Mary was and Matthew had access to her, okay? Number two. Number two. As I said, some argue that the word virgin just means young lady. But as we'll read in a minute, the Bible actually says multiple times, it states directly that she had not had relations with a man. So the problem is when you just simply change, and this is true of any time in the Bible, when you take one verse of the Bible and you tinker with it, there are downstream effects of that that you can't, you can't uh, anticipate. When you tinker with this, all these other things start to mess up and start to contradict. And what, in this case, you just simply change that to a young woman, all of a sudden you have a problem because Mary directly says, I know not a man. We'll read that in a second. All right, number three. Read verse uh, 14 once again. The Bible says this, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this Virgin birth is a sign. That is a, a marker, a token. It is a, it is a unique indicator of something, right? Now, did you know that when I got married to my wife, which we are offended, we are highly offended, we have decided together that we're going to be offended because our anniversary was not in the bulletin. And it's probably our own fault because, because we didn't look at the, the directory in the back. No, we're not offended. Our anniversary is the 16th. It's Friday. All right? Amen. 22 years. What's that? 
22 years of marital bliss. So our anniversary is, is Friday. So when we got married, my wife was only 18 years old. How many of you remember that? Brother Vernon probably remembers that. And you probably thought, man, what are these kids doing? Well, we're still here by God's grace. Uh, but she was only 18 years old. Now, sometime after we got married, so I think it was sometime in April, my wife found out that she was expecting this strapping young lad sitting next to her, Joshua. Now, at that time, she was only 19 years old. By any measure, that's a very young lady to be having a baby, right? But let me ask you something. She was a young woman, right? Was it unusual for a young woman to have a baby? Could that be considered a sign that my wife was having a baby? No. If you said, well, if you said, behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, whoop-de-doo. There's no miracle in that, right? There's not. It's just another thing. In fact, the verse doesn't even say that she was unmarried. It just says young woman. I mean, for those that change it, it just says young woman. But see, when you, say, when you tinker with that, you, change, you alter the sign that it is. Now, on the other hand, if my wife had, was expecting a baby and she wasn't married and she, had, she was pure, that would be remarkable. And that's exactly what the sign is. This is a miraculous event, a once-in-history event. And that's why it serves as a sign, right? That's why it's a sign. You can have a sign of something that's common. Otherwise, you, it would happen all the time, and you would never know what the sign represents. But when you have a sign, you take something, you think about the signs when Jesus returns, the, 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 the sun uh, the sun turning into darkness and the moon into blood and the, uh, the stars of the heaven rolling away like a scroll. That's what Matthew says. And, but those are signs of a major event and they're events that net those signs have never happened before and will never happen after because they're extremely unusual, unique. And so that's what this is. Number four, if you would take your, before you go to Matthew, look at Revelation chapter number 14. This is talking about Revelation 14, speaking of the, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Listen, if, if anybody ever talks about who's going to heaven and they say, well, we only believe 144,000 people go to heaven. Well, this is where you need to be in the Bible, Revelation 14, because it really messes stuff up. This is the 144,000 that occur in the tribulation, which those of you in our Sunday school class know what this is talking about. Um, and it says here in verse number uh, verse number three, and they, the 144,000, sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the, the hundred and forty and four thousand, which were redeemed from the earth. Now look at what this says in verse four. These, someone is calling me on my cell phone, of course. These are they which were not defiled with women. 
for they are virgins. This is not talking about ladies, but men. But this word virgin is used, and it explicitly says that they were not defiled with women. In other words, they had not had relations with women, these 144,000. Okay, so this is why, because of that, this is what, how we know, one of the reasons we know that when the Bible says virgin, it is not only referring to a young lady who was unmarried, but it's also assuming her purity. And that's what makes the virgin birth of Christ so important, right? It makes it a unique event, a unique event. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 1. What I want to do is I have four things I want to tell you about the virgin birth of Christ. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1 to begin. And I want to look at what the Bible says about the virgin birth. Matthew 1 and verse, we're just going to fly through these verses really quick. Verse 18 says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, listen to what it says, before they came together. Now espousal is not the same as marriage, nor is it the same as engagement. It's kind of between the two. But what it is not, it is not full uh, marriage in, in its full uh, rights and privileges, as you might say. Um, but it says plainly, before they came together. So look, the critics and those that for years have tried to, uh, tried to wear down the truth that Jesus was actually born. Mary was a, was a lady who had not been with a man because they are unbelievers and they have problems with miracles in the Bible. That argument doesn't stand because of all these other verses. It says plainly, before they came together, she was found with child. Notice what it says, of the Holy Ghost. That's the source of the child. From God Almighty, from the Holy Ghost. All right, look at verse number uh, 19. It says this, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily or secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. In other words, the baby was not from Joseph, the baby was from God. All right? Verse thir- uh, 23. Verse 22, rather. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Of course, a quotation from Isaiah 7, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. Verse 25. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So discreetly, not only had Mary and Joseph not had relations before this announcement, they did not have relations until Jesus was born, right? Even though they were officially married, right? They went from, after this announcement, they went from a spousal to a full marriage, 
And it wasn't until after Jesus was born and, uh, that the marriage was consummated. All right? Look at uh, Luke chapter number 1, if you would. But notice, the thing I'm pointing out to you is that the Bible very plainly says it in different ways. Luke chapter 1 and verse 27. It says this, or verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Again, that word is the same word as in Revelation 14.4 that we read a minute ago. All right? Is spoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the, uh, look down at verse number 34. Then said Mary unto the angel. We know the angel makes the announcement. You're blessed and all those things. You're going to have a baby. Verse 31, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and, and bring forth the son and shalt call his name Jesus. Now, interesting, Jesus is the human name of, of Christ, right? That was a name given to him at birth. That's, that's the important thing. For, for, when you read the Bible and you read about Jesus, it's talking about the man, Jesus, right? Now, we know Jesus is also God, as they say, 100% man, 100% God. But sometimes when you look at his person with that dual nature, you look at that, sometimes you emphasize and concentrate on his humanity, and sometimes you emphasize and concentrate on his deity, but when you say the word Jesus, you're talking about his humanity. Whereas if you say Christ or some other title, most, most of the titles, especially Lord, you're talking about his deity. All right. And then in, down in verse number 34, then Mary said unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. Mary said herself, I've never known a man. Verse 37. The angel says, <clears throat> look at Elizabeth. The difference was, Elizabeth was married and Elizabeth was barren. Mary was unmarried and had never known a man. But, look at verse 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. If, if Mary was simply a young lady, <laughs> this, this verse would make no sense. Oh, you're going to have a baby. Oh, okay. Well, I was hoping to, you know, after I got married, you know. You know, I, would, I was hoping to have a baby. No, but this says, that which is impossible, that Mary would have a baby without a man involved at all. That which is impossible, God was going to do. Look at verse, uh, chapter 2, verse number 30. Verse number 33, talking about the prophecy of Simeon in the temple. After Simeon prophesies, here's what they say. And Joseph... And his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Look at chapter 2, verse 48. This is when Jesus was lost, when he was 11 years old, 12 years old, sorry. Verse 48, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father, Mary says, and I have sought thee sorrowing. Jesus, in verse 49, corrects them. He says, And he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? So immediately, Mary says, calls Joseph Jesus' father, and 
in answer, Jesus reminds Mary very kindly and softly that his father was not Joseph. His father was God, right? And then lastly, in chapter 3, in verse number 23, look at what it says. Talking about the, the beginning of the genealogy of Christ, it says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, notice what it says, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Eli. So, all of these signs, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten different verses talking about the nativity and the announcement of the birth of Christ. And there are at least ten different times that, that, that it is clearly articulated that Mary had not known a man. Now, here's the thing. I know that everyone in here believes that. <laughs> I know we don't have any skeptics in here, any people that want to change the Bible to fit some because you're, you know, you have a problem with miracles in the Bible. But it's important that we know it from the Bible. Now, I want to give you four points why it's important that we that the virgin birth of Christ is a reality. The first thing I want you to see is this: that the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is God depends upon the virgin birth. So what you have in Matthew and you have Luke, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John all describe the incarnation of Christ in some way. All right? But, in Math, but Matthew and Luke emphasize Jesus' humanity and that, because it talks about his, the process and the, the events surrounding His birth. But John does not speak at all of Jesus' nativity, of Joseph, of Mary, except at the cross, but as related to Jesus' birth, all that the Bible says in John is in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's all that's said. But, and we've, of course, we know from reading John chapter 1 that the Word is actually John 1 1. It's a verse we all should memorize 1 1, 1 2, 1 14. Those are key verses to, to know and memorize. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Right? That Word refer, is referring to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trick you out here, Jesus. But remember, Jesus is His human name. So actually, the name Jesus doesn't come to, to Mary and Joseph. But the Word is referring to Christ. But notice, he preexisted. He was in the beginning, right? And then in 14, verse 14, it says, and the word was made flesh. That's when he was born. But it doesn't say born. It says made flesh. So what Matthew and Luke do is they tell us how he was made flesh. How? By a virgin birth. You see? So the virgin birth is connected is, is the means whereby the one who pre-existed took flesh. That's why the virgin birth is important. Now look at, look at John chapter 6, if you would. John 6. Verse 38 says this. 
Jesus is talking to the Jews. This is the, the discourse about the bread of life. I love this chapter because there's, there's so much in here. But in verse 38, he says, the Lord says, for I, notice, read, it, read it with me, for I came down from heaven. I want to tell you something. I did not come from heaven. I did not come from heaven. You know what I came from? I came from my mom, Kim, and my dad, Mike, both of whom were of the earth, very earthy, right? I was born of them. I did not pre-exist. See, when you say, I came down from heaven, what you're implying is that you existed before you were born, right? He says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. That tells you that he was with the Father, and then the Father sent him. He departed from where he was, and he came to a new place where the Father had sent him. That is John chapter 1. He preexisted, and then he came down from heaven. How? The virgin birth. Right? Now, drop down. In response to this, look at verse 41. Now, follow the context. This is, this is interesting. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So they heard that, I came down from heaven, and they're like, wait, hold on. Uh-uh. Verse 42, and they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? You see, they understood what I just said, right? If Joseph were the father of Jesus, then Jesus did not come from heaven. That's what they understand. See, they think Joseph is Jesus' father. And so therefore, you see what I'm saying? The virgin birth makes the, makes the difference. If they understood that Joseph was not Jesus' father and that according to the prophecy, Mary was a virgin, then that means Jesus was not of this world. That's his deity. You see? The fact of the virgin birth would have cleared up Jesus' true identity to the Jews. But because they thought Joseph was his father, they didn't believe it. When he said, I came down from heaven, they said, I don't know what you're talking about. Number two, so the deity of Christ depends on his virgin birth, right? Number two, the humanity of Christ depends on his virgin birth. The humanity of Christ depends on his virgin birth. Going back to Luke chapter 1, I'll read this verse to you. We've already read it, but I believe we have. Luke 1 verse 35 says this. We have not read it. So if you'd like to turn to it, Luke 1 35 says this. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, listen to this unusual language in this verse. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That's an interesting way to put a birth, right? The angel is talking to Mary and he says, the holy thing that will be born shall be called the Son of God. Now we know that's talking about Jesus, but here's, why, here's what's interesting. That is a reference to his humanity the vehicle by which he would come into the flesh, right? Because you can't very well say, well, Jesus is going to come into the world. Well, hold on. He's already been 
for all of eternity, He is very God. He is the Word that has existed since, since before there was anything, right? Eternally. But this is talking about His humanity. You think about the humanity of Christ. When Jesus was born of a virgin, so you have the Holy Spirit caused, created the body of Jesus in the, in the womb of Mary, and His, his person came down and indwelt in that body. So that was Almighty God, right? But on the other hand, He dwelt in a body of flesh, a human flesh, just like you and I. He was born of a mother, just like you and I. He had a nature, a human nature, just like you and I, absent sin, right? He got weary, hungry, thirsty. He took naps. Right? That's what the Bible says. Not only that, he was subject to temptation, like we read in Luke chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. He was tempted, the Bible says, in all points, like as we are. And not only that, hear, hear me now, this is why it's so important. Because he was a human being, he was subject to death. As God, in His divine nature, He was not subject to death. God doesn't die. But in His human, human nature, He was absolutely subject to death, physical death. Right? That was all made possible. His human nature was made possible by the virgin birth of Christ. So the humanity of Christ depends on the virgin birth as well. And you know what? On a practical note, the fact that Jesus suffered was ridiculed, was disdained, was disparaged, the fact that Jesus was tempted, all of those things and more, the, the Bible tells us who also dwell in, in, in human flesh to look to Him who suffered those, those things before us. Right? Even unto death. He says what? He says, take up your cross and follow me, right? He bore the cross because he was a man. He was a human being. You see, so the human nature of Christ is actually one of the sources to give us strength because we look to him as our example to uh, avoid temptation and to persevere in the face of persecution. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who suffered for us, who suffered temptation but was victorious. He is our example, but He can only be our example if He's a human being. And He is. And that was made possible and that was, that was accomplished by the virgin birth. If, he, if, G, if Mary was not a virgin, if, if that, that event had never happened, then the humanity of Christ would not have been possible. Number three, the sinlessness of Christ depends on the virgin birth. Now, we're almost finished. Look at Genesis chapter 5, if you would. Interesting little tidbit of information. Most of you are, are probably familiar with the book of Romans, chapter 5, and how the Bible says in, you know, how that uh, by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, talking about Adam. But I want to read something a little bit different that is, of course, complementary to that. Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 1. 
So, of course, we know in Genesis 3, in Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything. In Genesis 3, the devil tempts Adam, and Adam and Eve sin, and they are cast out of the Garden of Eden, and they have become sinners. And, of course, chapter 4 is about Cain and Abel, and then chapter 5 begins the rest of their life. Look what it says. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created Adam in the likeness. Now notice what it says. In the likeness of God made he him. So God made Adam in his likeness, similar to the Lord. Verse 2. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day that they were created. And Adam lived in 130 years, now notice the words, and begat a son, what's the next word? In his own image. After, in his own likeness, I'm sorry, in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. So God created Adam in his own image, but Adam marred that image. That image was marred by the fall into sin. See, sin, the effects of sin on our nature as human beings is profound. Honestly, I think um, not fully understanding how depraved and how deeply sin has affected us causes us a lot of problems, (laughs) to be honest with you. But it goes deep. It's not some superficial thing where we just go, oopsie, we mess up some. No, the fact of sin in our nature goes way down deep to the very core of who we are. And that all happened at the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And we live it every day. We live with the effects of that fall. As a Christian, we struggle (laughs) with the effects of that fall. We grieve over the effects of that fall. So Adam and Eve sinned, then you had the issue with Cain and Abel, but then when you get to Seth, the Bible says that Adam begat a son in his own likeness. Not in God's image, but in his own. Not in God's likeness, but in his own. So Seth was in the image of God in as much as Adam was still in the image of God, but Adam was following, uh, Seth was following Adam's image. So here's what that means. That means that Seth inherited that wicked nature from Adam that Adam received in Genesis 3. Seth was like Adam. Seth's son was like Seth, and so on, all the way down to you and to me. What you have in the virgin birth, however, is a breaking of that. Because that nature which was present in Joseph and, jo- and Mary and Joseph, of course, we know Mary, and jo- Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as some believe. Mary had other children. And you know what? Those children came of Joseph. And they inherited Joseph's nature, just like the Bible says here in Genesis 5. So you look at Jesus' siblings, who we know some of them did not believe when, before the resurrection and actually, uh, and actually said uh, unkind things to the Lord. But those siblings inherited their nature from Joseph. They were sinners. Not so with Jesus. You see, Jesus did not inherit that nature from Joseph because Joseph was simply not his father. So he had a human nature absent the wicked nature 
that had been inherited from Adam. So when we say Jesus was sinless, He was sinless. All right? So the sinlessness of Christ depends on the virgin birth. If it was not a virgin birth, He would have been a sinner just like you and me. And lastly, therefore, number four, therefore, redemption depends on the virgin birth. Now, this is the summary. If the virgin birth is none true, if the virgin birth is untrue, there is no such thing as salvation from sin. There's no such thing as a payment of sin. There's no redemption in the blood of Christ. None of that is possible. It is all made possible by the virgin birth of Christ. This is why the virgin birth of Christ is rightly considered to be one of the core beliefs of the Christian faith, the biblical faith. Because when you take it away, the whole thing comes down. Right? Here's why. Jesus Christ could not have died for sinners unless He was truly God. Why? Because God Himself paid the price for sin. Right? Number two. Jesus Christ could not have died for sinners unless He was truly a human being. Because humans die. <laughs> right? And number three. Jesus Christ could not have died for sinners if He Himself was tainted by sin. So he had to be sinless. All three of those are made possible by the virgin birth because Jesus was born of a virgin. So the virgin birth is not simply just a kind of an add-on kind of insignificant doctrine that people made up to make Jesus seem special. No, 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 no. It is the foundations of the gospel. The fact that Mary was an unmarried woman who had no relations with a man made that birth miraculous, and it identified who that person was that was being born. He would become, he would become the same one who died upon the cross. And you know what? What's, what's interesting and ironic is we talk about Mary and all these things, and we talk about Jesus' birth and how the, the virgin birth is foundational to the other, other uh, elements of the gospel. Who was at the cross? None other than Mary herself. Right? Amazing facts. Let's pray.